Appetit. You're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. This week, we have on Basically Editor Sarah Jumpel talking about the 10-week Basically Guide to Better Baking on the site now and soon to be in the April print issue. It's a new recipe every week for 10 weeks, rising in levels as the weeks go on based on how involved said recipes are. As of today, we are about halfway through, so I'm checking in with Jampers about how it's going and whether she'd take the sour cream and chive biscuits or the camouflage cream cheese brownies to a desert, or is it dessert island? Ooh, that was a good one. And more. All right, after that, Carla Music and Sola L. Whaley are in studio talking about prep for the, yes, coronavirus and how they're doing it in their own lives. A bit of a tricky topic, obviously, in the sense that we want to be prepared uh, but not alarmist. So I wanted to chat with each of them about uh, what they as home cooks are doing, what they're stocking up on, and what they might be cooking in the weeks ahead. All right, here we go with Sarah Jumpel. Jampers, welcome back. Thank you. We're here for the Basically Guide to Better Baking. Highly anticipated. What were you thinking? I was thinking that baking is something that people have shown a lot of interest in. Our baking recipes do well. People are excited to see a cookie. But on Basically, where we've done such a nice job of teaching people cooking basics, we haven't delved into the world of baking, which a lot of people find to be very intimidating. Raising my hand. Including yourself. I find it's... It's not so much intimidating is that I feel like when I'm baking, I don't have control. Because you can't predict what will happen. Yeah, it's so hands-off. Whereas if you're like doing something in a pan, you can literally turn the heat up and down. You can sort of move the pan. You can flip things over. Right. There's less of a chance to course correct, I think. Like, Ooh, I like that. You can't, you're not really like tasting things in the same way. Even if something tastes good, you're not sure what texture it will be. People like raw cookie dough, but a cake batter, you're not really dipping your finger into raw cake batter. And even if you are, it's not really an indication of what it, like the chemistry that happens in the oven, you cannot know. Yeah. And there are lots of ways to mess up even a good recipe. So So, there's a lot that can go wrong. So let me ask you this. You are an avid baker. Yes. What does that say about you? I'm obsessive. Um, Wait, really? Yes. (laughs) And I mean, I don't think that like the normal diametric opposition of cooking and baking, like cooking is art and baking is science is true. I think that that's kind of like a reduction and not fair exactly. Like I wouldn't say that I am more of a science, have more of a scientist mind because I love like the formulas of baking and following recipes very closely. But I do think that for me... I feel more confident baking when I like have a recipe that I can really trust and follow and stick to and like play with in my own way. Whereas cooking, it's just like a little looser and I'm a very type A person. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You like to know what you're getting into. Yeah. I also love all the signs. Like I baking obvious, Mm. like cooking obviously has indicators too, but like I love all of the like little details that you notice as you're baking to see if you're going correctly or going in the wrong direction. You know what I love and hate is I'm a big cook by smell person. Mm-hmm. And that moment where you're like, oh, I put almonds in the oven 15 yeah. minutes ago and totally forgot they're in there. Now I can smell that they're burning. And right. you know by the time you open the oven, it's too late. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ah, oh, I should have set the alarm. 
Right. But I never set the alarm. Get a timer. <sighs> you could have a designated kitchen timer, which is something that we recommend in the package. Because it's is right like, there in front of you as opposed to your phone yeah. where you're going on to Spotify and everything else all the time. Right. Like I forget to set my phone timer, but I have a timer that all has right. a magnet set to the refrigerator and okay. I just use that. I like that. What is there a type you, you guys endorse? We endorse the Yugos, U-I-G-O-S. It's very simple. Okay. It's like just, a, it counts up and then it has a timer feature. Um, so in typical uh, John Pell fashion, you didn't just like, let's write an article and post it online. You're like, how can we make this as elaborate and comp, not, I want to say complicated, <laughs> but as, as labor intensive as possible for yourself? Well, the thing about baking is that, as I said before, there are so many variables. Like there are so many places to go wrong. And so like if I make a recipe once in the test kitchen and I'm like, this is good, that's kind of fine, except that you haven't accounted for like any of the variants that people will experience in their kitchens at I home. feel like you're the type of person, if you make a recipe once and you're like, oh my God, this is good, then you'd be like, wait, is it really good? It can't be good if it was that easy to make. Yeah, totally. But also like we see from comments that people go wrong and it's always easy to be like, where in my recipe was there not the detail for people to know what to look for? Hmm. This is a 10 week program, if yes. you will. Talk us through it. How does it work? So it starts with level one. There are three level one recipes and then we move on to level two and we finish with level three. And the reason why we decided to call them levels instead of being like easy beginner advanced is because we didn't want people to be intimidated by an advanced recipe because the great thing about basically is since we have a video for each step, even the advanced recipes, you're like getting your hand held. So even if you're a beginner baker, this is the place where you have all the tools you need to follow a more advanced recipe. So you shouldn't be intimidated. And so there's a new recipe drop every Sunday when you sign. You can sign up on basically for the basically guide to better baking. And then every Sunday you will. Well, at this point, by the time the pod comes out, will be about five weeks in. But you would every Sunday a new a new recipe drops. Yes, unless it's a recipe that takes multiple days, in which case we're releasing it on Saturday. Oh, you did that last week yes. with the focaccia. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute, didn't we? Yeah, what are we doing Sunday? We no. want to give people the opportunity. We're seeing that people are really baking right away, and so we don't want to frustrate people by giving them a recipe they can't start because then it's Monday and you have to go to work. So the couple of recipes that do best with overnight chills, those will release on Saturday. Okay, so the first recipe was your recipe. So, by the way, so you, Sola, and Molly developed all 10 recipes, yes. tag-teamed. Each person worked individually. Recipe number one was your salty buckwheat chocolate chunk cookies, which look amazing. I highly recommend going on to Basically right now and checking them out or on our uh, Basically or Bon Appetit Instagram feeds. But it wasn't enough for you to develop this recipe, which you tested, as I said in my editor's letter, like 97 times. You also decided to start a basically baking forum where so you could spend your entire Sunday not hanging out with your spouse, <laughs> but answering questions from literally people all over the world. I mean, I live to answer questions. How um, many hours did you spend that first Sunday answering questions? Definitely upwards of six, like mostly my <laughs> whole day. I was like floored by the immediate response. A lot of people were very confused about the buckwheat flour. Yeah, like, why is that? 
Buckwheat is gluten-free, so it helps to create a different texture in the cookie for it to be like more supple and more chewy because you don't have the gluten interference. And then it also, it's made from roasted ground buckwheat groats. So it has a very nutty, earthy flavor that kind of like works with the brown sugar in the cookie. It makes it deeper. And to be clear, with your recipe, um, you do some all-purpose, some buckwheat, and you find that nice middle ground of like glutinous but not too glutinous, crispy, chewy, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. We it's did not a just lot like, of... It wasn't just like, I'm going to make a healthy chocolate chip cookie. No, it's not healthy. It's just... <laughs> There's still plenty of sugar and butter. Don't yeah, worry. we did a lot of side-by-side testing in terms of like buckwheat percentages. Buckwheat can taste what I say is kind of like a wet dog, like a horsey smell. In a good way? No. <laughs> if you use too much buckwheat, it's like like sniffing a wet animal. Mm. It's kind of gross, in my opinion. So we did a lot of variations of buckwheat percentage because obviously when you're asking someone to buy buckwheat flour, you want it to have an impact. You want yeah. them to be like, oh, this is a different cookie. But there is a reason for buying it. Exactly. But you don't want them to be like, I don't like this because there's too much buckwheat. Also, the first, the first several batches you're testing... I recall correctly, they all maybe they had more buckwheat, but they also went. The color was kind of like a gray. wet dog, kind of a yeah. gray, wet, a wet gray. Yes. Also not appealing, like cement. So you ended up with what percentage? It's 125 grams of flour and 63 grams of buckwheat. So it's about. I think it was a third. like one and a half cups to a half cup or something. Like it's that. one cup to a half cup. Half cup. That was correct. Okay, one cup all purpose, half cup buckwheat. Have to be fact-checked. Let me know. I think so, because I think that's what I wrote in my editor's letter. So, yeah, by the way, for all you out there, the new issue of Bon Appetit, the April issue, which comes out in about a week, features all 10 recipes in the Basically Guide to Better Baking, including this cover star. I'm right. It's one cup to a half a cup. You're right what? I was right in what I said before. I hope I'm right. You're all, we're all right. Okay. I think so. One cup of what? A flour. Which all-purpose flour? Yes. Okay, that's and what I And a half a cup yes. of buckwheat. Okay, so cool. it's one and a half cups all day. Phew. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to know there's still fact-checkers at Condé Nast. Yeah. Are you surprised with how obsessed the week – wait, where, where – no, yeah, week number three recipe, this shockingly easy no-need focaccia recipe is. People seem to be going all in on the focaccia. I'm – very pleasantly surprised. The photos are amazing. Again, this all the photos are amazing in this story. Who shot it? Laura Murray. Did Laura Murray shot, yeah. shoot it? It just looks so like these salt crystals and like it's oily and crispy on top and these little like divots and, and it's, it's all really, fluffy on the inside. I can't stress enough how easy it is. I don't believe you, but what I do like is that when you look, go into basically whether it's on the Instagram or the the site itself, and you see the step by steps of the hands getting in there, and the dough all elastic. At least to your point, it it's visibly doable. Hillary Cadigan, who is the self-prescribed worst cook at Bon Appetit, which I don't think is true, but that's what she calls herself. She made it. She wrote a piece: How to bake with yeast when you're a total noob. No. No, that's you. Oh, wait. Hers was the other one. That's you hers wrote that. Hers was my focaccia success story. Oh, there's so many stories on. How do you make all these stories on, basically? You just crank it out. Yeah. She's like, yeah, that's my job. Where have you been? You know, hers was, it should be against the law for a focaccia recipe to be this easy. Her story was basically about how she's never successfully baked anything. She left the sugar out of a cookie recipe, oh which is really a, a cardinal sin. I will and say this. And she made the focaccia. I, I just, I just, I don't bake. I just come to basically for the headlines. That's fine. 
They're really good headlines and really good photos. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Oh, God. There's 10 recipes. Uh-huh. You get three. You get three to cook the rest of your life or bake the rest of your life, and you will never see the other seven again. What are the three recipes from this basically guide to better baking that you're taking with you for your life journey? Definitely the focaccia. Okay. It is the most impressive, most hands-off bread recipe ever. I think it'd be pretty, it sounds like something awesome if you're having friends over and you put out some yogurt dip or something, some crudite and a big focaccia. Yeah, and you just tear into it. You don't even have to slice it. Um, It's amazing. It's hard. I think that Molly's sour cream and onion biscuits are brilliant because this is a level two recipe because once you start working with biscuit dough, the temperature becomes more important and there's like some folding technique involved. Well, that's that, that leads to the next question. How did you decide what is a level one or two or three? And was that a group discussion or did you as a dictator decide? It was a group-ish discussion. <laughs> I think I decided as a dictator and then like ran it by people and they agreed. Um, but honestly, the level three recipes are all solo recipes. She used to be a pastry chef, so her recipes are kind of on the more intense side. And all right, so how do we describe? All right, so for those of you who don't know Sola, you got Molly Boz in the kitchen. Have you ever watched Molly in her videos? And she's very confident, just kind of goes with it, knows what she wants to do, and does it. Yes. Then there is you and Sola. Yeah. How would you describe each of your recipe development? I would say that Sola approaches? and I feed off of each other and work each other into a frenzy of obsession. <laughs> and we send each other down deep and often unproductive rabbit holes. So like, I know that you like to talk about how many times I made my recipes. I think Sola might have made her recipes more times than I did. So she did the uh, the, the cardamom carrot cake with this crazy glossy- Bright orange glaze. Orange glaze. What was the glaze? Was it a It was carrot, carrot juice. Carrot juice. <laughs> <laughs> so she did that. She did the triple threat onion galette, great Delicious. name. And that's like a beautiful galette, freeform galette, super flaky crust with like leeks and onions and stuff. It has onions, stuff. garlic, and scallions. Um, and then she also did the cover star of her April issue, cinnamon date sticky buns, which are these beautiful round like morning buns in a cast iron skillet. Filled with date puree. That one took a while because I remember the first testing – it was just kind of dry, not dry, but you when you see sticky buns, you want them to be like sticky. Right. All of Sola's recipes are level three recipes because they have components. It's like you're making a galette dough and then you're making caramelized onions to go in it. Or you're making sticky buns, which like it's a yeasted dough, it's a little scary. And then you're making a date puree to go in it or like you're making carrot cake and a glaze. So all of hers are a little steppier, mm. which is what puts them into component into level three. All right, so you, you, your first choice of you, – you decided to put um, focaccia in your spaceship and take it with you. Yes. Are you sure you want to take Molly's sour cream and onion biscuits? Because that would be too savory, and you only have three total. I can't bake anything else for the rest of my life? Of these ten recipes. Oh, well, I mean, there are lots of great recipes. <laughs> no, you, you can't bake anything else for the rest of your okay. life. Okay, then oh, – this is hard. I think the brownies, I, the, the brownies, camo brownies, the camouflage chocolate fudge brownies, a real struggle. 
to get there yeah, <laughs> to the they, end. Yeah, they were wonky looking at first. Yes, that was a real journey. So where do we get exactly? I was in some of the tastings, and I honestly don't even know where you finally ended up with these. <laughs> I mean, I know what they look like in a photo, but recipe-wise. So essentially, they're a, our modern take on a cream cheese brownie or a cheesecake brownie. And the idea is that, like, the cheesecake brownie is a brilliant idea. A brownie, it's super rich, at least a fudge, fudgy brownie. It's really rich. It's kind of monotonous. You need the tang. Are they, I think brownies are overrated. Oh, I'm saying that. No, I, but I'm saying I do. I think brownies in general, in general, it's like they're so rich. It's like after a couple bites, you're like, okay, I get it. I see where you're coming from. Do I need more? However, you know where brownies are really good? Like if you go to Hillstone a.k.a. Houston's or any of those properties, and they got the brownie su- sundae. So you have, like, the nutty brownie and then the ice cream on top, and then the sauce and everything. So and then you I get would, the brownie base with the vanilla ice cream. That's good. I would argue that the cream cheese component of yes. the brownie kind of serves as the ice cream component Strong of a sundae. Okay, so it, like, so- cuts some of the richness. It makes them less boring and it's pretty so then what did you do how are you like how do you modernize again like you're trying to fix something that's not already broken right so we decided that anything we added to the brownie couldn't like for the whole package we didn't want to be like adding gratuitous ingredients like we're not going to add i don't know like frosted flakes to a brownie just because we can do that like who wants that it needs to be something that makes it better so the that's why we ended up adding the cream cheese and then we did like a little tweak to make it super fun looking, which is that the cream cheese batter gets divided in two and some gets cocoa powder in it so that you get like a tri-color effect. Oh, so you go from like dark chocolate color to creamy to sort of milk chocolate yes. color. And then how did you end up camel camouflaging it? It's honestly blobs. just blobs. But how, is there a base layer and then you add blobs of the There's others? a base layer of brownie. The brownie mm-hmm. goes on and then you just blob on the other stuff randomly. Um, and then you put on some reserved brownie batter on top and that's it. And it, it's kind of the th- it's the sort of thing that like looks really silly until you cut it up into pieces and then you're like, oh, this is this looks cool. Is that your second choice? I think I need to get a cho- like something chocolate in there. If think, I'm only yeah. going to bake three things for the rest, okay. the rest of my life. Okay, that makes life. sense. All right, so you got the focaccia, you have the, the camouflage chocolate fudge brownies. Oh, it's a tough one. You get one more. Maybe Sola's um, cinnamon date sticky buns, okay. the cover star. Good for the morning. So how did we get to a place where they were sticky enough and, you know, yummy and gooey enough on the inside. I think the challenge is that unless, if you're making cinnamon rolls, unless they have a ton of butter and sugar inside, generally they're like pretty dry on the inside. Like the filling has a tendency to dry out. Um, So what Sola did was she used dates, which are like very moist, and she substituted dates for some of the brown sugar. So it helped her like reduce the amount of sugar inside so they're not totally saccharine and get moisture. And then it, it has this... Really? Does, she, does she make a date puree or? Yeah, so you soak dates and then you just blitz them up in the food processor. And your food processor is already out because you use your food processor to make the dough, which mm. means you don't have to knead it as much. Mm. So it does kind of reduce the labor. And then you brush the buns with a confectioner sugar and vanilla bean paste when they come out of the oven, when they're still warm. And so they absorb some of that glaze. Mm. And it's more glaze than you think you need, but you really should use all of it. Yeah, I guess at this point when you're making something like this, this notion of like, oh, we don't need that. It's like, just go all in, right? It's like, yeah. they, don't skimp, don't try to be healthy because you're not being healthy. There are a lot of people who have asked questions about like using less oil in the focaccia, which 
I understand the Olive impulse. Oil. Yes. But it's like this focaccia probably serves 12 people. Yeah. And there's, I don't know, six tablespoons of olive oil in it. So if you divide it up, it's actually not that much. And not it at is all. like what makes the focaccia taste good. All right. So you're going focaccia. Brownies. Brownies. Cinnamon, date, sticky Cin- buns. Sticky buns. I think that's pretty good, Emma. I mean, it feels like a good mix of things. I think getting the chocolate in there is imperative. I love yeast. So I feel like it is, it speaks to me that two of the recipes are yeast recipes. I feel like I've, I, again, not a big baker, but the last <laughs> couple of times I've done yeast, got like the packets of yeast, put it in the water, but then nothing happens. Is it supposed to get all bubbly and foamy or, or is it my, do I need to add something <sighs> this else? This is one of there? the great questions of our time. Um, and I don't really know the answer. Got in a huge fight with my wife in Buffalo last year when we were going to make monkey bread with her mom. and the, we were Did worried, it work? <sighs> worried that the say. yeast had been in her mom's cupboard for like five years. Oh, that's so. And it didn't. I'm like, it's not active. And Simone's like, doesn't matter. We're just going to do it. And then her mom was, it was like pain, like a whole thing. Did Christmas it work morning, like drama. Did you get it, this monkey bread out of it? I I mean, you st- monkey bread still butter and sugar and all that. It, yeah, but I, <laughs> I contend it was not as yeasty as it should have been. So every basically recipe that we publish comes with all these helpful articles to walk you through the process. So when we published the focaccia, I wrote a whole deep dive into like the world of yeast and what you need to know about yeast when you're baking with it for the first time. And I learned a lot, which is that active dry yeast actually only a portion of the yeast in the packet is alive in the first place. Hmm. Like it's surrounded by dead cells. Okay. So an instant yeast is 100% alive. All the cells are alive. So it's much more powerful. That's the stuff in the refrigerator? That's the stuff you buy in bulk and it's smaller granules and it's not as widely available, which is why we don't call for it. Um, But yes, active dry yeast, most people recommend activating it. Like you should activate your active dry yeast in warm water with a source of sugar so that the yeast can start to feed and you can tell if they're alive. So the sugar I didn't know about, a pinch of sugar? I usually do that. You don't need to and sometimes recipes won't call for it. But But that's a good starter. To get yes, it going. so it can start eating. Okay. I would say that it does not always foam. And sometimes it doesn't foam dramatically. It's just like some signs of life. And it should also start to smell like a good yeasty smell. Hmm. And you should keep a couple packets on hand because even like in that pack of three, one might be kind of dead and another might have more living cells in it. And the expiration dates <sighs> don't matter that much, but you sh- definitely shouldn't use expired yeast. Okay, for someone who's not a confident baker, this freaks me out. Then I'm like, I don't even know. Is it is it is it alive? Is it not alive? Like, how am I going? That see, that's why I get just nervous. wait for it and look for some signs of life. Just a few bubbles, be a good happening. smell. Okay, if it doesn't smell like anything and it doesn't look like anything at all has happened, then I would open up another packet and go again, because you don't want to throw away your mixed dough. You'd rather just start over at the beginning. Okay, do you want to hear my three? Yeah. Shockingly easy focaccia, no question. I'm gonna make that for like the next dinner party. Emma, have you made it yet? No, but you're gonna make it, right? Yes, she's like obs. So I'm gonna go with your colleague Molly Boz's Earl Grey tea cake. Mm. I love a loaf cake, super easy. It looks when you slice it open, it looks like a poppy seed cake, but those aren't poppy seeds, those are little flecks of Earl Grey tea. It's delicious, Lucy. And it was like, and with a little bit of lemon zest and stuff in there, it was. So tasty in a way that again it felt familiar but completely different. Like I've never had a tea, like a literal tea cake, like tea flavored tea cake, 
and it's got a little like turbinado sort of crystallized sugar on top. Huge fan of that one. Also level one, so I'm I feel good about that. So I have two level ones: Earl Grey tea cake, shockingly easy focaccia. There's also no lemon in it. All the citrusy flavor comes from the tea. What? Because I Earl she, Grey has. I thought she put lemon in it. No, you Earl sure? Grey has bergamot in it, which is a type of orange. So it tastes really like citrusy and fragrant, but it's actually all from the tea. Are you sure about that? Yeah. There are no fresh ingredients. Like, there's no fruit or citrus in here. And you can also make it with different types of tea. So it's like a really handy recipe to have on hand. I mean, not everything would work, but like a black tea you like that's not Earl Grey is good. People have made it with chai. All right, so number three. I mean, I just think I'm never going to make biscuits, so I'm not going to do the biscuits. Because you buy them or you just don't partake? I just, I don't know. Yeah, just don't have the time. I will say that biscuits, even to me, have been a little intimidating. But this technique of actually folding your biscuit dough to get like manual layers instead of just like hoping that your butter will steam makes for a foolproof recipe. Do you think I should go with that one? Because I do want. Well, you like savory things. Yeah. And that's my only other savory option. Oh, no, I could go the triple threat onion galette. Which is great because it can be a dinner. Mm, maybe I will do the biscuits then. I feel like sour cream and onion biscuits. I mean, what's not to like? I did taste them. They were awesome. They were very good. I ate several. So It's a thing where I kind of kept on coming back for little pieces, and then next thing I know, I had eaten an entire biscuit. The only downside is that they're best fresh out of the oven. But I've had them on day two, and they're still pretty good. Can you put them? Can you rewarm them or no? I think that day, yes. Mm-hmm. But it's the kind of thing where, like, when it's hot and steamy, it's at its peak. With, like, some good big chunk of cultured butter on top. Or just melted. more sour cream. Ooh. All right. Okay, so jump out. You can check out the Basically Guide to Better Baking in the April issue of mm-hmm. Bon Appetit, which is about to hit newsstands. Or you can go to eatbasically.com. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you tap on any of the articles you'll see the focaccia there's that there's always a link at the beginning of it that says this is part of the basically guide to better baking exactly where everything lives on one page Ooh, very fancy and then there you can sign up for the newsletter and you get the newsletter and then you'll get all the remaining recipes will come to your mailbox on sunday yes straight to your mailbox (laughs) your p.o box (laughs) thank you sarah jampel thank you Okay, Carla, today is Wednesday, March 4th. If you say so. It is. And as of right now, in New York City at least, schools are still in session. Most everyone is still going to work. If not, I don't know where my children are right now. So. Oh, I, didn't, I had not even <laughs> thought about that. I hope they're at school. So uh, you've got two dogs. And a cat. And a cat. Mm-hmm. How do they get along? Great. It's just a beautiful menagerie in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing that two different kinds of animals can coexist. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, but the point is, so it's today's Wednesday the 4th. This coronavirus story is moving quickly. I feel like every day we check in multiple times a day. There's new information, unbeknownst to us in terms of how the government, CDC, what they're going to say, where we can fly to, where we shouldn't fly to, you know, things getting canceled. Um, so, Carla, you did a piece on Monday on Bon Appetit. Uh, say you're stuck at home for two weeks, dot, dot, dot. How to prepare so you feel more prepared. Correct. Talk to us about this piece. I thought it was helpful. 
you're also uh, addressing a fairly serious subject in terms of how to prepare if you're stuck at home for two weeks right. and what to cook and, and what what sort of approach did you take? Yeah, I mean, where I really wanted to come from with all of this is not in terms of like if you yourself become sick or if you are quarantined because a family member is sick, but really thinking about what is the more likely scenario for me and most of the people I know, which is that like school might get canceled so if you're a parent that's a major lifestyle disruption of like depending on how old your kids are they're going to be home with you even online classes like the idea that everyone's going to be in the house trying to maintain some weird facsimile life the, the idea that my kid is actually paying attention to the online classes <laughs> yeah, exactly. is, is hard to wrap my I'm head I'm like around. so you'll be sitting at the dining room table with a computer in front like what now and if our work you know if our workplace goes through something similar or you know knock wood like there's a change with the public transportation or something this could create a scenario that's just completely unlike our normal life and judging by the kind of panic buying that was going on around me like I feel like ever since that episode of the daily came out that was really good about coronavirus everyone I know like ran to the store bought all the Purell all the paper towels all the beans and is like sitting on them and that's what people do in New York when there's bad weather or a scary health thing you like this. You whether Hurricane Sandy yeah. or was it a superstorm? I'm still not sure. It was a hurricane. hurricane. We had fact checkers <laughs> on that. Uh, multiple day blackouts, etc. So you offered a bunch of advice. Um, I'm curious about some specifics. Also, Solo, I'm curious your takes on various types of food that as both of you being test kitchen professionals, how you each might approach these items. Um, I thought your first point, Carlo, which I thought was really interesting and I think it's something that a lot of us don't think about is that when buying non-perishables that you can put on a shelf like don't buy anything you normally wouldn't eat right which i'm like we should buy canned beets i'm like i hate canned beets exactly. why am i buying canned beets <laughs> right but you buy these things like should we buy canned artichokes like i don't know do i like canned artichokes so so like in terms of that 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 shelf stable stuff like what would be on your list of things to go out and stock up on rice mm -hmm. yes and things to bake with Mm -hmm. I feel like I would want to stay home and just make lattice pies. Yeah. Well, see, that's interesting because you also we're talking about our sort of our nutritional health, but there's also your mental health. Like, what oh, are you doing vital. all day? <laughs> yeah, you, it's a great time to take on a project. Maybe learn how to make croissants. Mm, okay. There you go. Pastry, <laughs> butter and flour. Naturally leavened bread. You just need some water and flour. In a way, it's like going to be disappointing when I don't get to find out that this was the time I was going to learn how to grow a starter. Yeah. Like in the <laughs> end, I'm going to be like, oh, nothing happened and I still don't know how to make a starter. I think I want to get my fresh pasta game a little stronger. Mm. You know, it's a great time to like just spend the day making orecchetti. There you go. Question. A serious question. Um, when you make, say you make fresh pasta, whether it's orchetti, tagliatelle, whatever, can you make that fresh pasta and then freeze it and put it in a bag? Totally. 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 Mm -hmm. So that's actually a good thing. That's also something that the whole freezer game has come up in discussion. I want to say Simone literally went online. I think she ordered a chest freezer. Wow. Um, <laughs> Where are you going to put a chest freezer? Like in your living room? It's your new coffee table. <laughs> that's, a, that's the next question. I'm also curious. I don't know if she actually looked into what kind of voltage it requires. Mm. Um, 
But, you know, especially people who have houses and stuff in a basement, maybe they have that. Some people have a second fridge, that sort of deal, uh, depending on what kind of place you live in. But, yeah, stuff that freezes well, um, obviously. And yeah, I thought and about butter, butter freezes well, right? Butter freezes well. I thought about, you know, grains, making stock and freezing it. The thing with the freezer is it's great, but there's, you know, for most of us, like you said, it, there's a limit. And, and, I'd rather have it filled with sort of the building blocks to making meals than 15 boxes of, yeah, like a giant casserole or 15 boxes of frozen pizza. You know what I mean? Wait, you, you don't want 15 boxes of frozen pizza? No, no, I don't really want do? 15 boxes. Also, That's going to take up a ton of room. The and boxes take up a lot of room. The boxes take up a lot of room, and I'd rather have my freezer filled with things that I could use to make meals rather than like a ready-made meal. Time yeah. isn't the issue. We'll probably be making more of our meals, and maybe there won't be – maybe the grocery supplies are going to be, like, spotty. Yes. So the, the, the pasta sections or rice sections might be cleared out. There's no rice at either H Mart. Oh, really? Wait, and where, do you, where exactly gone. do you live? East Village. Okay. That's crazy. See, what's crazy to me about that is, like, right now, the supply chain is not disrupted. Like after Sandy, there was really limited deliveries, yeah, and there was there were power island. outages, gas. gas. Fill it up. was like traffic was really bad. Right now, how many days? Was, everything was is that normal. Like four that, days that power was out. In I Manhattan? feel like it was a whole it was week. more. Whole week. It was. It depended on what neighborhood you were in. Like I never lost power. But, but downtown, but, half of Manhattan was out, or lower for half. Days. And we spent like a day and a half without power, and then eventually we packed up and. We were able to get our car out of a lot and drive to Brooklyn and stay with friends in Brooklyn for like right. three or four days. Yeah, I drove you to work. Remember exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah, that was fun. Carpooling. It was fun because there were no um, traffic lights. Yeah, it was weird. So you just like, and I was like, well, all I'll green? just, yeah, <laughs> it's all green. <laughs> it's all green. Um, Carl, I like another one a point, getting back to your baking point. So uh, um, you also said, Carl, you talked about sort of, you know, some some comfort foods, some things yeah. that you like, chocolate, things that you like, actually enjoy. That this is not just like cabbage and rice every day. Yeah, and I think that's like to Solo's point about having baking supplies at home. You know, some comfort foods are don't just buy rice and beans, and you're gonna get really bored, and it's really bland, and it's really repetitive. So get a jar of Nutella for the kids. Get mm -hmm. you know some baking supplies. What, what about a jar of that new Biscoff butter? There you go. Are you Biscoff a fan of that? butter? Absolutely. Was just having a spoonful earlier. But we had so what, did that just not exist before? And then all of a sudden, is that like a fully new product? No, or it's not is, new. It's been around. But yeah. it's been called. It wasn't branded Biscoff, or was it branded? Yeah, it was like the Biscoff cookies. Yeah. I feel like we're I, getting why, off topic. But well, yeah. not really, because you could buy a jar. I just, just like keep Biscoff around. I don't know. I don't shop for sustenance. Like when Sandy happened, I hit the candy aisles hard. You know, really. I didn't think old oh, rice and beans. I already have rice and beans. When right, when, I that's was like, how where's I the feel. popcorn? When Sandy happened, we had just gone apple picking that the two days before. So I had like twenty pounds of apples. What was the and date? And I made of Sandy yeah. October something. Something. And I made all these apple pies and applesauce. And was just like, well, we have the apples. Yeah, but theoretically, because you get to this talking about root vegetables, whether it's potatoes, onions, carrots, etc. Um, 
you don't want to make all that stuff at once. You want to store those in a place if you have this time of year, a relatively cool, whether it's your cellar or somewhere yeah. so they don't sprout and then use them as needed. Right. And start if you are going to do a big grocery haul because you will feel better to just feel like stocked up and prepared and that you have like lots of supplies, use the per the more perishable produce first. I thought it was a great tip. Yeah. So look at your refrigerator, like what's in your fridge, what's gonna go bad in three, four days, use that. Yeah, because waste, like whatever shopping you're gonna do right now, obviously not buying things that if if nothing comes to pass and everything is fine, you know, you would wanna have stuff that then you could just look at and say like, okay, this will be in my like disaster preparedness box and yeah, so that rice or those canned beans great can stay so there. like we got that stuff and we can use it later so make sure it's it's stuff that you would use again and not like the person in front of me online at the grocery store who had like 20 bags of popcorn like that's not popped popcorn <laughs> yeah. or kernels yeah. Pop, popped like skinny pop like no wow. i might have been not... that person carl <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah. And, but then also, I think to your point also about if you have freezer space, also making things that will then you know will freeze. So if you're making bolognese or something, if you have perishable meat or something, you can't really – I don't think you can freeze an apple pie. That's probably not a good thing to freeze. You absolutely can freeze can an apple you, pie. Unbaked apple pie. Oh, oh, unbaked. Freeze it. Bake it when you're ready. It's perfect. Wow. Haven't really? you ever had a frozen Sara Lee apple pie? How do you think they do it? <laughs> I like their coffee cake better, like their buttery coffee cake. Um, yeah. Frozen oh. unbaked. Frozen unbaked. Smart. Pop it in the oven. Yeah. Ready to go. Okay. So that's, well, that's a good good advice then. But that point, yeah, what can you freeze at one? Do you freeze it before you cook something or after you cook something? Or if you buy, if you buy something like a chicken that is perishable and you roast the chicken or cook the chicken, like then use the bones and make stock. I feel like any yes. any of the purchasing that you do don't waste you know like the whole thing is about stretching this for for many days so just be really like thoughtful about how if you, you make, use the filling to make a use the chicken to make a pot pie filling you can divide that in two put half in the freezer freeze and unbaked yeah apparently freeze and unbaked can you do that with chicken pot pie absolutely you can wow. learning well so you want to cook the chicken oh sure the crust yeah. part <laughs> the, the pie part oh yes yeah uh, or you could just open up the box haven't of you had a, pastry a or frozen pot pie before <laughs> Swanson's? I do, Marie yes. Callender's actually makes the best ones. Wow. Mm -hmm. I do love a good chicken pot pie. Same. Big fan of the rotisserie chickens. Cooked grains you can freeze. Yep. So, like, cooked beans can be frozen. So, if you do a batch and you want to eat whatever you eat, store, you know, just, like, store things so that you'll have them. This uh, is a little advanced level. Sure. But I like to make big batches of parathas mm. and freeze them in between like sheets of parchment and then you just pop them out paratha yeah ready to go how do you make them what's the technique um it's like a pie dough almost but bread right super <laughs> flaky yeah it's a laminated flatbread right not leavened not leavened but um it freezes really well and it stacks and it doesn't actually take up that much room do you stack it with the sheets stack in between it with each some one? parchment in between yeah, i like that yum whoa is there, a re is there a recipe you'd recommend out there? I have a on? recipe on oh. SeriousEats.com. <laughs> okay. Nice. All right. Go to our friends at SeriousEats.com. <laughs> Look for Solo Whaley's. There's also a video. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's perfect with all your, like, stewy other things. You'll that you're also eating have with your, your stew rice. in yeah. your freezer. Right. Pull that out. Yeah. Ready to go. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like if we are quarantined for a long time, though, we're going to run out of vegetables. Yeah, that's where, like, your root vegetables... You know who's not going to care? My 12-year-old. Right. Yeah. Things like frozen spinach, those are very, mm. like, space-wise, pretty economical. And Comes like, in that, like, tightly packed box. Exactly. Yeah. Like, one box of frozen spinach, I feel like, is equivalent to, like, 10 actual bunches yeah. well, of spinach. Speaking of... Um, sort of sturdy veg and root veg what about where does cabbage fall like a, the heavy head of cabbage not like never, very but sturdy the, the really dense one that'll last a while right oh yeah if it's cool very very much yeah. so and i imagine the the leafier it gets less so probably right the, yeah the more delicate the leaf yeah like a regular green cabbage yeah, like for sure just peel pounds. off the outer leaves yeah. and keep going you know a piece i also liked in your article carla was which i never would have thought of if you have an outdoor grill get an extra thing of propane yeah which I actually ordered one from the hardware store like three months ago and have not picked it up just because oh. it got cold out. It's gone now. They've given it away. They probably have. Because we, we actually have an electric stove. You talked about just in terms of disaster preparedness or whatever. And we New York has lost power yeah. on more than one occasion since yeah. I've lived in New York. And that sucks. But if you have the grill outside, you're like, oh, I can fire it up. Exactly. Well, actually, I can't because it's a gas grill but it has like an electric starter to it but can't you just use the little clicker the little thing yeah because my stove also has a clicker uh-huh. to ignite okay the pilot but if i use a match and just light it, it it'll work All right, i was start. thinking about electricity about the grill but i think it's also might be just a nice way to break up the monotony of you know the cooking projects like yeah. if you're cooking all your meals every day and you're you're stuck in the house with your family members because you people aren't them. going to school. Yeah. Be and like, I'm going to out go to the grill. <laughs> I'll see you in three hours. Well, it's, you like, know? it's like Thanksgiving when you just want to excuse to get away from everybody. Exactly. I'm going to go outside and drink and grill something. Right. I'm going to go grill my parathas on a, yeah, in a yeah. skillet. See, I'd there like you to go. try that. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before we go, so you have pets. I have have pets. you thought about stocking up on pet food? Oh, Yeah. I stocked up on dog food, cat food, kitty litter. Mm-hmm. Kitty treats. litter, that's important. And I got an extra refill of my dog's medication. Smart. Oh, see, the medica- see, medication. That's another thing is someone. Something to think about. Uh, I was talking to someone else, which there's so many things I, I haven't thought about, but also, obviously, if you're on medication, especially if you're elderly or something, yeah, do you have enough? Right. Hopefully, when this podcast goes live and you're listening to this, none of this is coming to fruition. But again, we just don't know at this point. So as you said, Carla, better be prepared than not prepared. I think it's one of those that's like, we know it's going to get worse before it gets better. So, Or we know. could just all be sitting on a lot of beans in a couple of weeks. I, I think, I hope that I hope that's, that's the worst that comes out. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Carla, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks, Sola. Thank you. I'm Alex Beggs, and this is Cook, Mary Kill. Cook. St. Patrick's Day is around the corner, and Bon Appetit's best recipe for the occasion is Cole Cannon. Or you can make Brad's corned beef, but that has to be pickled for six days, so no. What is Cole Cannon? It's an Irish dish dating back to the 18th century that combines silky cabbage and buttery mashed potatoes. Ours has leeks, garlic, and scallions, thank you, Chris Morocco, and it'll stick to your ribs while you read Tana French and drink Redbreast 15. A historically-minded Irish chef told Smithsonian Magazine that Colcannon was a Halloween dish that used to have stuff hidden in it to predict your future. The examples he gave were fittingly blank. He said, A coin meant wealth in the coming year, a rag meant poverty, 
or a stick meant your spouse was going to beat you. Uh... Mary. I want to marry every individual person who seriously considered making hand sanitizer with Tito's vodka. I have a bottle of it at home, which came with a Tito's knit sweater on it with two tiny arms that stick out. I don't know why. It's the only bottle I own that's clothed. It's so cheerful and friendly, I can easily imagine looking at my bar shelf, forgetting I have soap, and considering washing my hands with it. But as Tito's had to tell customers last week, it's only 40% alcohol, not the 60% you need to kill germs. Save it for the mimosas, folks. Get that vitamin C. Kill. Maybe this is too obvious, but I want to gently kill all the food brands capitalizing on coronavirus panic shoppers. Press releases like, don't touch your face, touch these piping hot pizza rolls instead, is a stretch. They're too hot to touch anyway. They need to cool down. I've gotten others promoting canned soup, tin fish, and other bunker-friendly ingredients that you probably don't need. I watched this op doc from the New York Times called Self-Quarantined for the Holidays. I highly recommend it. The mom and the family is a bundle of optimism, and they could leave the apartment and go to the grocery store or get things delivered. This isn't a hurricane. Hey, who am I to stop the free market? But I just want to kill the small ways we spread anxiety among each other by emptying shelves of canned spaghetti that'll end up expired in your pantry next summer. The grocery stores making bank right now aren't going to tell you to buy less. Keep your head screwed on, friends. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman, with additional programming help from Carrie Polis and Elise Namine. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to reach out to us about this episode or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.